Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul, back in, taking your calls today at 1850-333-103. Text and WhatsApps to 0862-103-103. And we are at the start of a bank holiday weekend and it is certainly getting off to a wet and a blustery start. And it's to do with this storm Everett, which has skirted along the south coast and it was overnight and early this morning. Storm Everett was named by the UK Met Office and it actually prompted our own Met Aaron to issue a status yellow rainfall warning for us here in Cork, Wexford and in Waterford. But that passed at 5am this morning. But blustery conditions are set to prevail over Munster uh, for much of uh, today. And then looking across the rest of the weekend, Saturday is going to be murky and cloudy. There will be some light showers, but they'll become more frequent as we go into the afternoon. Temperatures around 17 to 20 degrees during the day. Day. We're going to have a mild night tomorrow night, Saturday night, 9 to 12 degrees. Sunny Sunday is going to be similar, cloudy starts, scattered showers. But the afternoon, if you've got anything to do, do it Sunday afternoon. The best of the drying, the bright spells will be in the afternoon. Temperatures down a little bit though for Sunday, 16 to 19 and lower again at night, 8 to 11 on Sunday night. And the bank holiday Monday then is expected to be mostly dry. Again, more sunny spells, although there will remain the threat of uh, possible rain in the southwest and the current indications if you are staycationing next week is much of the same of the weather for next week dry day expected on Tuesday and then rain will push push in from the west on Tuesday night and that'll be followed by more unsettled conditions for Wednesday and Thursday with the possibility of more rain okay enough of the rain now enough of the rain can I the the pictures on all of the papers today you couldn't help but smile when you see the faces of Fintan McCarthy and Paul O'Donovan they are literally every single newspaper a lot of the newspapers have done wraparounds on their front cover all the papers are given out free posters with the papers and it really is just uh, summing up the way we all felt yesterday and I think continue to feel today I mean as the Irish Independent are putting it they've got a gorgeous photograph of Fintan and Paul back in the boats and they have their medals but it's just the beaming smiles on their faces and the Irish independents say the ecstatic smiles remind everyone 
of all that is good about sport, of all that is good about the Irish and of all that is great about life. It's, you know, we've needed a lift in this in this country and I know people would say with the pandemic every country needs a lift but certainly our rowers and our Olympians are giving us a lift and then inside in all the papers Skibbereen is just featured in every single paper and the all the Finton and Paul's parents and siblings, photographs of them in all of the papers and obviously Skibbereen Rowing Club because what is happening in Skibbereen is and for the Rowing Club is really the stuff of dreams and of course anyone who is lucky enough to be down and around Skibbereen today will know the shops, people's houses, all of the business premises, the churches, the schools all adorned with photographs of the Skibbereen Rowing Club Olympians, the tricolours are out, the Olympic flags uh, are out and by the way if you are down and around by Skibbereen, pop into the town. They've even opened up a pop-up shop which is in Skibbereen Town uh, Centre. And uh, and people, of course, picking up on the fact that this is another gold medal. And we don't win a lot of gold medals. And I actually meant to check this yesterday morning before I came on air, but I think there was so much excitement going on uh, with with the win because it was yesterday's win was our first gold medal. Our last time that we won a gold medal was the Olympic Games with Katie Taylor. But that was back in London in 2012. We didn't have any gold wins in Rio. So we're over nearly 10 years waiting for another gold medal. And I meant to check it yesterday before I came on air to say what gold no, number gold medal is it? And it's actually, it's only our 10th. Like we don't win a lot of gold medals in the Olympic uh, history for the Republic of Ireland. So a number of papers going through the 10 wins we have had. It started with Pat O'Callaghan back in Amsterdam in 1928 and he won a gold medal for hammer throwing. And then the Los Angeles Olympics four years later in 1932, Bob Tisdale won a gold medal for the 400 metre hurdles. Pat O'Callaghan from Tipperary was back to him in Los Angeles in also at the same year in 1932 he came back and defended his hammer throw and won his second gold medal and then we have to wait till 1956 for the next one that was with Ronnie Delaney as a young 21 year old he won the 1500 metres and then there was another big long wait from 1956 we jump forward to 1992 and these are more the Olympic gold medals that many of us remember Michael Carruth, remember his boxing medal in 1992. And then, of course, there was the three gold medals for Michelle Smith in swimming. That was in Atlanta in 1996. And then, as I mentioned, Katie Taylor's London win in 2012. And now Fintan McCarthy and Paul O'Donovan, Tokyo 2020. And the medals, listen, they haven't finished there. We still have chances in the boxing and the, the golfers are doing well and the track and field begin. So we're not giving up on the medals. Could this be one wonders? Our best Olympic Games to date. We can all only live in hope. 1850-333-103. Today, by the way, is the last day that we're giving away our C103 smart speakers. And I know I was going through some of the texts and the WhatsApps yesterday. People saying, I've been trying every single day and I can't uh, win. It really is the luck of the draw. But can I just tell you the amount of 
texts and WhatsApps that we get in for this competition is incredible. And actually, one of our listeners pointed something out to me yesterday, and I might as well give it a mention on today, the final day. John Paul, we ring back, obviously, one of the people who sent in a text or a WhatsApp to us. But people are very conscious and aware with all the scams that are doing the rounds at the moment particularly people won't answer mobile a mobile number that they don't know so somebody was saying what number do you call us back from and she sent me on a screen grab of her phone from the day before shortly after she'd sent in the text there was and now it turned out it was a scam call she got two missed calls from an 087 number she didn't answer it for fear there was a scam call and then she was wondering was it us trying to ring so I checked yesterday and it's actually it's an 022 number more than likely 022 42103 but it's definitely an 022 two number that John Paul will ring somebody back from and that's the same across all of the day parts when you get that call back to join us on air to reca- to tell us what the winning phrase is which is play C103 and you could be winning on the final day one of our wonderful smart speakers with done deal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealership. And when I was mentioning and calling out our 10 Olympic gold medalists I mentioned that the first gold medalist was Pat O'Callaghan the hammer thrower and uh, Dr. Pat O'Callaghan, he won a, his first medal in Amsterdam in 1928 and then he went back to the Los Angeles Olympic Games in 1932 and he won a second gold medal for his hammer throwing. And I mentioned that he was from Tipperary. Well, he, he lived and worked in uh, Tipperary as a doctor because a number of people are pointing out that Dr. Pat O'Callaghan is actually from uh, Cork. He was born in Derry Gurham near uh, Canturk. Um, and actually, he you're right, he was. He was born near Canturk on the 28th of January 1906. But what's incredible about his story was he began his education at the age of two in the local national uh, school. They started school so young back then. And then he went to secondary school in Canturk. And then at the age of 15, he won a scholarship to the Patrician Academy in um, Mallow and during his year in the Patrician Academy he cycled 32 miles round trip every day and the story is he never missed a day at class. That, they're just a different generation. Imagine asking a child today to cycle a 32 mile round trip uh, to go to school. Isn't it incredible? And then of course he went on to set up his own medical practice in Clamel in uh, County Tipperary. But he was our first ever he goes down in the history books as our first ever gold medal winner in the Olympics and as the boys proved yesterday he certainly we've got many many more of those medals uh, to come uh, 1850 333 103 just on people on their COVID digital certificates I've had some emails uh, in on this this is a kind of a heartbreaking one I have to say that says Hi Patricia my daughter is awaiting her digital COVID certificate she was vaccinated on the 11th of July vaccinated now are we saying fully vaccinated on the 11th of July uh, and I got I received this yesterday the 29th which would be the two weeks would it be the two weeks after it uh, would anyway I have rang the helpline on three occasions and waited two hours and over and still no avail the reason that the search is so urgent is she is travelling around Europe at present and is getting a lot of hassle having to do Covid tests at her own expense every time she crosses the border to go into another country it's ridiculous 
not being able to speak to somebody. My daughter is going to college in the Netherlands and she's also going to need her digital COVID certificate for there. This is urgent. I don't know where to turn to. Turn to. Can you please bring this to the public's attention, the attention of the HSC? And then Valerie was on to us from Skib saying, I was on hold listening to jazz music and the lovely American lady telling me how important my call was. I finally gave up after three hours and 20 minutes. Maybe I'll try again uh, next week. Okay, and as we're saying to everyone, only try now. Eileen, who's ringing on, who's trying to get through on behalf of her daughter, that certainly is one of the urgent cases because we keep telling people only ring if you're travelling in the next 10 days. That's the advice. They're trying to stop the helpline getting swamped with people who don't need it for travel reasons because remember, and we're running it there, I heard Mairead say it on the news, if you're going out, say at the weekend and you're going out for indoor dining, indoor hospitality back up and running for the fully vaccinated you can bring your HSE vaccination card that will be accepted at the door of a restaurant or be accepted at the door of a pub you don't need to have your digital COVID certificate the digital COVID certificate really only is important to people who are uh, travelling and Eileen I can't even point you in the direction of anywhere where I can go to speed up the process uh, for you to get through because I know even TDs are saying normally you get onto a TD and they would have a helpline or an email number that they could use to help out some of their constituents. They're even saying that they have no line into the helpline. So all I can say to you is you're just going to have to keep sitting on the phone and being as patient as you can. But I'll once again give out the advice that we're giving out every day and every day we're finding that people are locating their digital COVID certificates. Get your daughter to check her email account, get her to check her spam folders. If it's a Gmail account she has, tell her to check her social folder because time and time again we're hearing from people saying yes the certificate was there because it has been a very efficient system I think for the people who've recovered from Covid they're the ones who have to contact the helpline even they can do it online now and then there are others who are having problems in that the name doesn't match their passport and they have to get on to the helpline but generally speaking for everybody else it either has been sent out by post or it has been emailed out but people are just not seeing it in their email folders. So Eileen, when you're talking to your daughter today, get her to once again absolutely 100% check all of the folders if she's a Gmail account to make sure that it isn't sitting in one of the other uh, accounts. But I can sense your frustration and how expensive it is for your daughter now having to do PCR tests every time she crosses a, a border. That is indeed a tricky one. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The insurance industry is facing fresh calls to make significant cuts to premiums after new figures revealed a dramatic reduction in both the cost of claims and the number of cases. Peter Boland from the Alliance of Insurance Reform joins me. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning, Patricia. Now, the Personal Injuries Assessment Board, PIAP, they've published their 2020 annual report. Total cost of awards down 25%, but the new guidelines came in last April. So average awards, they've fallen even further, haven't they? They have. So, Patricia, essentially what we have here is PIAP, Personal Injuries Assessment Board, being the first port of call for every personal injury claim 
uh, that is uh, made in the country. Uh, now, some are settled through PIAB, some are settled uh, directly between insurers and uh, the plaintiff solicitor, and a very small number go on to court. Um, what's critical about the PIAB figures is that they set the tone for everything else that's happening uh, at the moment. And as you've already said, what they show is a consistent drop in the number of claims over the the last five years. So it's not just because of the pandemic, uh, which led to a dramatic reduction uh, last year, but um, the previous year and the year before that, we were seeing the total number of claims drop. And allied to that, there was already a drop in the average award. Uh, but now what we're seeing because of the intervention of the judges uh, since the 24th of April of this year, uh, we're seeing a further 50% drop in the awards that have been handed out since that date. So, uh, all in all, what we're seeing is a big reduction in the cost of claims. And insurers have always told us, and we've verified it independently through the central bank's work, uh, that it's all about the cost of claims. Everything else is secondary to that. And yet we're not seeing premiums come down. So essentially, it's a it's fairly simple at this stage. Uh, either your listeners are getting reductions in their premiums or the money is going into the pockets of the insurance companies. Yeah, and were you disappointed to see acceptance of PIAP awards have fallen 58% to 51%? And I know a number of uh, listeners will uh, raise the question, like, why does somebody go to court because it brings with it huge legal costs. And awards now are broadly similar, aren't they? Uh, they are. That's correct. And that's up from 58 to 51 percent since 2015. So we've been seeing this for some time. And so one of the key things that's necessary on top of the reduction in damages is reform of PIAB. PIAB is a brilliant idea. And when it was launched back in 2004, it worked really well for a short period of time. But it was eaten alive by challenges by the legal profession. And it's not difficult to see why, because answering your simple question, the only motivation for rejecting a PIAB award and going to litigation is because it generates legal fees to the tune of €20,000 on liability claims. So there's only one group of people who have any interest in seeing litigation continue, uh, and that's the lawyers. Um, And so PIAB must be strengthened for the benefit of the state if the common good is going to benefit from all these reforms, uh, then PIAB must become the main way for personal injury claims to be assessed in future. And there's a secondary point to this as well. So in terms of strengthening PIAB, that's, that's a given as far as we're concerned. But for so many plaintiffs to reject the PIAB award and go on to litigation when it's patently not of any benefit to them. And in fact, they end up waiting another two and a half years for their damages. So it's, it's, a, it's disadvantaging them. There's something wrong in the communication here. So plaintiffs appear to be under the misapprehension that if they uh, go on to litigation, they'll get more money. That can only be coming from one source, which is the lawyers, because nobody else who's involved in this area will tell them anything other than, listen, it's a mugs game taking it to litigation. All you're doing is generating fees for your solicitor. So there's a communication issue here, and clearly PIAB aren't doing enough uh, 
to to get that message that out. Yeah, yeah. To plaintiffs, yeah. And are we are we seeing any reductions being passed on to policyholders that you're hearing about? We're getting no evidence of that no. so far. We we started tracking this from the 24th of April, which was the uh, the date that the new guidelines came into play. And what we're seeing so far, it's it's probably too early because it's it's only two months of data so far is what we have, but. Certainly, overall, what we're seeing is increases. And remember, that's not only on the back of uh, reduced level of uh, damages, reduced level of overall claims, but also on the back of so many small businesses and community groups being closed for much of the last 18 months. So everything is set fair for insurers now. Uh, And they're running out of road in terms of excuses. Uh, It just doesn't wash anymore that they're adopting a a wait-and-see attitude because you can bet your bottom dollar that if damages had gone up dramatically on the 24th of April, uh, our premiums would have shot up that Straight away, straight away, yeah. Molly, one of our listeners says, could you ask Peter, please, do we need more competition in the insurance industry? Would that not help? That's a really good question and uh, yes is the straight answer to that. We're poorly served by our existing insurers, not only in terms of the price of the product that they're selling, but also the lack of availability for so many sectors. And uh, you and I have spoken about this already in terms of uh, so many sectors that simply cannot get cover at the moment. And the government has recognised this in establishing an insurance competition office which uh, is up and running now, but is just not moving fast enough. And essentially, our understanding of this office is that that it will act like the IDA and go out into the global markets and say to insurers, listen, will you come and have a look at Ireland as a, a market for offering insurance? Yes, Ireland has been a basket case for many years, but reforms are now in place. There's an awful lot more on the way. And on the back of all of these reforms, it is now a stable and secure market for insurers to underwrite. And on the back of that, we need more competition urgently. OK. And um, and any talk of more reform of BIOP? Uh, yes, there's a, um, a draft bill uh, due any week now uh, from government, uh, which we would expect would give... Uh, sweeping additional powers to PIAP. Uh, and likewise on the issue of duty of care, uh, which is a major issue for retailers, for community centres, for sports organisations. We're expecting legislation, draft legislation on that in September. So stuff is coming, but there's no point in all this reform happening and the enormous effort that has gone into getting it in place uh, if insurers aren't passing on the benefits. Okay. All right, Peter, no doubt we'll speak again in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is uh, Peter Boland of the Alliance of Insurance uh, Reform. Just on the COVID uh, certificates, this is from Brenda. Hi, Patricia. I was listening to the recordings on the helpline for the digital COVID certificate. Part of it says the digital COVID certificate is not necessary for travel, but makes it easier to travel within the EU. Does that mean that we can travel to Britain without a COVID uh, certificate? 
And I've just checked and it does say that the DCC makes it easier to travel within the EU and the EEA. You must follow the restrictions that are placed in the country you're travelling in and get the information about travelling restrictions uh, in uh, place. And what's also recommended is if you are planning to travel and particularly if you're planning to travel without a digital COVID uh, certificate, then you're going to need to check with your airline. You're going to need to check with your ferry to make sure that you will be allowed to travel. And then you're also going to need to check out the country, in this case is Britain, to make sure that they will accept and uh, if they're looking for people to be fully vaccinated that they will accept other evidence of vaccination like for example your HSE vaccination card but remember what happened to the good people in uh, Malta who flew to Malta they were allowed onto the plane with their HSE vaccination card and when they got off the plane there was 25 of them they didn't have their digital COVID certificate and even though they were fully vaccinated and they were told they had to go into quarantine so you do need to be very careful and every country seems to do things differently when it comes to restrictions when it comes to quarantining there is a very good website that you can check out on the Reopen EU and they go through each of the individual countries and they will tell you what is required when you're travelling but you really do need to do all of your homework before you actually go to make sure that you don't come a cropper when you come off the plane 1850 333103 lines open Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie For C103 photos and more follow us on Instagram at C103 Cork Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now, every single day this week, we have received calls and texts from listeners complaining about the amount of GAA games, especially Cork games, that are only available to people who have a Sky TV subscription. Fine Gael Senator Tim Lombard feels something needs to be done about this and he joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Morning, Patricia. I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Is the situation even worse because people can't even get a ticket to go in person to see some of these matches? Is that making the situation even worse? Absolutely. Your traditional GA supporter would have access to these matches both on RT, but also the opportunity to go into matches. And crowds are limited. Anything less than 3,000 going to these stadiums, traditionally a match in Turles, you could have been up to 30,000 people going to it. So the genuine supporter who would usually go and support the actual team now hasn't the ability to get the ticket, number one, but then doesn't have the ability then to actually go and actually physically watch it on the RT network. And it's it's crazy in many ways because Cork seems to be the, the county more than any other county picked for the actual pay-per-view. Population base obviously p- pays into it and advertising. Last year, our three championship matches were in Sky. Like, it made no sense at all last year that we actually saw no uh, match from Cork hurling on Sky itself. And now this year, two matches in a row are actually on Sky again. And it's the reaction this week has been frightening to it. I think there's a genuine been built up anticipation that, you know, COVID has lifted, we can go and, you know, do our normal stuff. But we couldn't go to the match because of limited numbers. And the other thing is, we actually physically now can't watch the match unless you have the actual Sky Network itself. And it's 
you know, it's just bizarre. It's really unfortunate. And I think we have yeah, to relook because, at it. Yeah, and, and, and you're, you're right. I've never th- seen the anger like we've certainly in the calls and the texts and the emails that we have received in uh, this this week, particularly, I think, in advance of the Cork-Dublin match um, at, at the weekend. And one listener said that the last time they reckoned a Cork hurling match was um, free to view TV was in 2019. Yeah, Did we, there, was no, there was no free-to-view matches last year and none so far this year. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely correct. And this is the sixth match in a row from Cork Harling G.A.'s um, point of view that has gone straight to actual Sky Sports. Now, you can see the, the logic from a commercial point of view. Like, obviously, they're trying to build an audience and try and get as many people to watch it. But it's absolutely chaotic and crazy to think that they're actually continuously picking Cork in particular for this actual pay-per-views service. And look, I'm a J-man myself, former chairman of my own local club, Tartan. Kieran Kingston's a Tartan, who's the manager of the team itself. So, like, the GA fraternity, the GA public themselves are livid at this, because they don't have the actual opportunity to watch the, the actual team, which they've been following during their lives. And COVID is big effect in it too, but I just think we have to really look at the actual, this is our national sport in so many ways. And our national sport has to be available to everyone to watch. And this new system that's in place for the last two years has different franchise people. <coughs> Do you believe every championship match should be free to air? <coughs> traditionally, definitely. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, tr- traditionally we always had the opportunity to have um, always RT matches. Do you know, always Cork matches on RT. Just the new system that's brought in place. And it's, it's gone the wrong way. It's gone too much. It's gone too far. And that's been the big issue here. It's gone too far. And, like, I've never, ever in my entire life seen the backlash to it. Um, genuine supporters going, what in the name of God are we doing here? And I use the terminology that it's that thundering disgrace. And I think it actually is. Because the yeah. GA are a community-based organisation. They're in every parish, every community in the entire country. They're based on community, on grassroots coming up. And because of the system of having Sky involved, it's now becoming, you know, an issue that you either pay or you don't see. And that's taking away from complete ethos behind the GA. And the GA was based in every parish. Now we're limited to the people that actually have Sky Sports. Or the other thing, which is, a publican told me last night, it's forcing people actually to go out and watch the matches, which is another issue. So publicans that don't have the actual... The, the sky, the actual, yeah, the sky. And, yeah, and, and, and that's and expensive special, for publicans yeah. to again, have it installed. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I was talking to a publican during the week, and he was saying that's over six hundred euros a month if you were to go down that line. So there is a huge kind of kind of knock on effect. It's not just oh, go to watch it in your pub. No publicans are forced to say, oh, geez, I have to get the match in for this day because people are asking about it. So the real knock-on effect of the actual commercialization of when these matches are broadcasted and who actually watches these matches. So I think we need to rethink it. I think the contract needs to be looked at because we can't have a continuous basis that Cork has been penciled out because of the size of the county and because of the ethos within the county to actually watch matches. Well, the, well you know, Sky, the, the, the good people behind Sky are not stupid. They know that the people of Perfect. Cork, largest county in Ireland with a great love of our teams Yeah and I think that's exactly what they've tapped into they've tapped into the commercial sensitivity of having Cork on the actual um, Sky platform itself it's not just Cork people it's the entire kind of there's a kind of 
uh, outside of Cork support too that, that supports the Cork uh, GA Club and GA County itself and they've tapped into that they've made a commercial decision and to have no actual match since 19 well, that's, on that's RT what that's, no uh, uh, unfortunately for us that's what the, that's the business they, they are in but I have to say uh, Tim looking at some of the people who have contacted us this week it is the older people who would really absolutely break your heart. People who, you know, can't afford to have a Sky uh, subscription and they are the real losers. And as you say, these are the lifelong stalwarts of the GAA. And as one man said to us during the week, all he has left, all he looks forward to is seeing Cork playing either the hurling or the football on the TV. And it's he, he said he's lost so much in the pandemic and this now has been taken away from him. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the issue here. Like, the pandemic has kind of galvanised the issue. But, like, these, the GA is based in every community in Ireland, every county, every parish. And that's why it's so strong. It's grassroots up. Now they're making it available to only the fraction of society that can afford Sky. And that is a major step back. And I think when the GA looked at this contract, they had they should have looked at the actual social implications of having a contract that was going to alienate a majority of their actual supporting base. And the knock-on effect was, okay, they didn't realise COVID was going to come there. But because of COVID, now the really general supporter who had the opportunity to go to Torres on Saturday night now doesn't have that opportunity either because tickets are like gold off. Mm. You couldn't buy a ticket. But will the GAA come back and say, look, this is generating revenue for us. We need the extra cash that we make from the Sky deal. Yeah, and if they were to come back with that scenario, like just about making sure the brand is appropriate and it's about making sure their brand isn't damaged. And I actually think the GAA brand has been damaged by the Sky deal because the damage done to the brand, the knock-on effect is it will have an implication that people won't be following the G going forward as much as they should be. And I think the, it might be a short-term win, but it could be a real long-term They term could lose long-term, yeah. yeah. And that's the implication. Okay, and the, the, you reckon this contract, this current contract is up at the end of this year? Yes, okay. I think that's the real debate. And I was talking to colleagues when they rocked about this across all parties now. It's amazing there's unity in this one. Like we have to start talking about, you know, that RT needs to be, or it needs to be on a free tier network, not just RT. It must be made sure that whoever gets the contract for, for our national sports must be free tier. And I think that's really important because if we have a pay-per-view service for issues like GA, could be whatever next, you know, like we're actually going to disenfranchise our society from watching our national game, which I think yeah. is totally supportive. And, and Liz and Kinsale, kind of picking up on a point that you made, uh, said uh, the sport of hurling is the one that's going to suffer. The children will grow up not watching it anymore, which is which is a good point, which is which and, is a really, really good point. About, and that's where we all watched it, you know. I yeah. remember my first match in Torrance was 1990, went to my late father. And like, you know, they were the memories that I still talk about, just say to my old family. And like, I think... The pandemic has affected that. We can't do that that we usually would have done. But the knock-on effect now is we can't actually sit down and watch it at home, which is, it's a tragedy. It okay. really is a technological thing. And listen, before I let you go, I, I saw Flick going through the Echo this morning, a, a piece from you, and we're always trying to make people aware of uh, scams. Tell me about oh, the scam right. that you got uh, looking for you to advertise on your Facebook page, and they're going to pay you $2,500 per day. Per se, yeah, I thought I was really happy. I'll be signing up there. That's a, that's a <laughs> handy little money maker. 
but it very was, it, was, it was did it come by WhatsApp or how, how did you receive the message from them yeah it came by WhatsApp it came by WhatsApp I think it was Monday night that WhatsApp came quite aggressively first of all a text saying um, do you know we watch your profile you're brilliant or ABCD we're going to give you two and a half thousand a day if we can advertise on your site and I didn't respond. I think they got quite aggressive on the call. Is there an issue here? Why aren't you responding? Four or five uh, WhatsApps like this, quite aggressively. So I took a screenshot of it and of the number and tweeted out saying, look, this is another scam. Just beware. People are looking for your information. But it just shows you the level of how they will go and play you. They will literally play you, number one, saying there's money available, but they'll come back, come back quite aggressively for you to engage. And that was really, really unusual. Um, it's rare enough that I get that kind of stuff. I think I got one years ago as well. But like, no, two and a half thousand per day for my Facebook and, and what country? And what country did the call come out of? So it actually came out of, I tracked it back. It was a New York number. Okay. And um, I spoke to one of the lads in the guards. They said it was outside of the actual jurisdiction we'd be going over. Okay, but, but at um, least you've got the sense to know that it's going to be not a scam. Stay there. Jim wants to just get in on the GAA uh, story just very briefly. Good morning, Jim. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. You've Good morning, been... Jim Numbers. <laughs> morning, Jim. You're very annoyed as well. I am, Patricia, yes. I mean, we played Limerick in the semi-final this year. Uh, Sky. We played... Uh, Claire last Saturday Sky and here we are again next Saturday Sky and yet the Waterford and Titmash can be an RTE and I'm going to go one further now and I've no, no, no problem with this fixture get me, just want to get myself straight the Leinster for, or the Ulster football final is this year being played in Croke Park to have a bigger attendance more part of them it is an RTE and BBC are also throwing it so there's no problem there yeah, but as Tim is saying, is it is it to do with the population base here in Cork? They know they can make money off us here in Cork. Have, haven't a clue, Patricia. Haven't a clue. Yeah, but it's wrong. But I mean, there, there, are a, there are a lot of people that do not have sky. And they depend on, we say, sons or daughters or sons-in-law and daughters-in-laws who have sky. And they say, can they come down and start to see the cock match? Yeah, are, are as Tim says, pushing people out to pubs. They're getting people to go out. It's really unfair. Okay, Jim, listen, thank you for that. Uh, Tim, thank you for joining us as well and and raising this issue uh, because it is an issue certainly that's uh, got people going. Thanks for that. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Just a little bit of Olympic news for you. The mixed four by 400 metres relay heats are due to kick off at midday today in Tokyo in Japan. And part of that team is our own Phil Healy from Ballinine and of the Bandon Athletic Club. So we want to wish Phil the very, very best of luck along with Sophie Becker, Killian Green and Christopher O'Donnell. They make up our mixed 4 by 400 metre relay uh, team. Best of luck to them. And as I say, that heat is at 12 midday. John Paul is keeping an eye on it. So he let us know how Phil and the rest of the team uh, get on. Best of luck to you, Phil. Let's stay on Sport and Sky and GAA and people not being able to see the Cork match at the weekend unless they have Sky. James Brewery says everything in this country it seems to be about money and generating money. At the end of the day we are a small market and those watching and coming into this country will bid on what suits them and they know 
what they can make the money from due to us being a small country but the GAA seem to seem to be forgetting something they need to realise that the GAA as an organisation they're an organisation from grassroots up um, they should never be selling the rights to any of our championship matches to Sky so James and Bruree not happy and John is in Butterford makes the point that any of us who have a TV, we're expected to pay a TV licence. We pay a TV licence to the national broadcaster. The majority of the money generated from the TV licence every year we know goes to RTE. Therefore, if they are the national broadcaster and they are getting the majority of the licence fee, then why can't they show all of our national games? There's something very, very wrong with this. Why are we paying a TV licence to a state broadcaster when they won't show the state games at the same time so John in Butterfield someone also not happy about the fact that they won't be able to watch the match this weekend now some of your whatsapps in can I go back to digital covid uh, certificates and I mentioned because it was a piece that I heard our own Mirage do on the news for people who might be dining out this weekend that you don't need to have your digital COVID certificate. That's for people who are still waiting on the digital COVID certificate to arrive. You can instead bring your vaccination card with you. Well, listen to this story from a listener to say, Hi, uh, Patricia, I was in Yall yesterday and we decided we'd head in for a spot of uh, lunch. We went into a well-known establishment in Yall. There was three of us, all three of us fully vaccinated, All of us had our digital COVID certificate with us, but we were refused entry. Why? We didn't have photo ID with us. Anyway, we went to another well-known restaurant in Yall. They accepted our digital COVID certificate without photo ID and we had a beautiful meal. The question I'm asking this morning, is it compulsory to have photo ID with you when you're going into indoor dining? Now, I've checked on gov.ie. And they tell us that the EU digital COVID certificate is the primary evidence which is going to be used for people going into pubs, into a restaurant, into a cafe or into a food court to access any kind of indoor hospitality. But on gov.ie, they clearly state that you don't have to have your EU digital COVID certificate. It is the primary uh, evidence. They say that establishments can also use your HSE COVID-19 vaccine. Now, on the photo ID bit, they state on gov.ie, you may be asked for photo ID to prove that the EU digital COVID certificate or the HSE COVID-19 vaccination record or whatever other proof of immunity you're using, that you and the person named on the certificate is one and the same person. So I take it from that listener who went to Yall yesterday and had the lovely meal. Some restaurants are asking for photo ID. Some pubs are asking for photo ID. So again, it's a little bit like the information I was giving for people who are planning international travel. You need to do your homework before we even go outside the door. You need to check with the restaurant. I know, for example, I'm heading out for a meal on uh, Saturday night. Now, we're going to a restaurant where we're we're well known. So they're going to know who we are. We all have our digital COVID certificates uh, with us. So, But I did ask, do we need to bring photo ID? They said no because they they know who we are. But I suppose if you're travelling outside of an area where you're known in or if you're going with uh, staycationing. And I was asking John Paul because he was away for a few days in Kerry uh, this week and I asked him and he said they had their... Some, it was a... Some in the party had 
were fully vaccinated but others weren't uh, but he said the ones that were were asked for the digital COVID certificate and were asked for photo ID so I imagine any of the tourist areas they're going to be absolutely sure because I suppose they're afraid that if they get spot checked to make sure that everybody in their establishment and remember it's up to the owner of the pub or the restaurant or the cafe it's up to them to check that people are fully vaccinated but they can be spot checked to make sure they're not allowing people in who are not fully vaccinated so I suppose that the owners are saying we need to be doubly sure that everybody coming through the door is fully vaccinated and that the name on the card belongs to the person who's standing in front of me because it would be very easy to be passing around digital COVID certificates to different people if you're not known in a particular area. So it's something it's worth mentioning and it's something that you're going to need to keep in mind if you are going somewhere, if you are going out somewhere to bring photo, bring some kind of photo ID with you. 1850 I was speaking about car insurance in the last hour. Dermot says, Patricia, my car insurance was €650 Euro last year. Just got in my quote now and it has come down by just under €100, Euro, €549 uh, Euro, and it is with FBD. So that's a nice, that's a nice reduction. I'd be taking that. That's OK. You can still shop around though and see if you can get it any way cheaper. That's the advice that we give everybody when you get your ins- insurance premium in. But jolly good to see that it has come down by €100. Euro. Thank you for your uh, text. And then a West Cork listener says, Patricia, so the government are making a crazy decision saying people don't need to prove that they're vaccinated or not vaccinated to return to the office. Well, I'm fully vaccinated. I need to know if I'm sharing the office space with an unvaccinated person. My friend, who is also fully vaccinated, contracted COVID recently and was quite poorly. Can my employer force me back into the office? Would they sack me if I said no? I will take it to my local solicitor if I have to, says a West Cork listener. Now, the Taoiseach yesterday, Michal Martin, came out and he says he does not expect workers will be required to be fully vaccinated uh, when government draw up the guidelines for return to offices. Uh, Michal Martin's comments came, and this was something I mentioned yesterday, that some of the technology companies internationally have said that staff must be fully vaccinated, that they're not going to be allowed back into the workplace. I mentioned Google yesterday. Facebook are another company that are doing it. They're saying to everybody on their US campuses and Google are saying it to everybody worldwide that they are not allowing people back into the offices unless they are inoculated. But Michal Martin said it's a challenging subject but he said the workplace is about access to livelihoods. He says that's a very fundamental thing. He says he can understand if vaccination was a requirement in a health environment where patients are being treated but he said the government would be very cautious in linking access to the workplace and would if at all possible avoid that type of discrimination. Michael Martin said Ireland has gone about vaccination in a voluntary way. We have higher vaccination rates than almost every other country in Europe. We didn't do it by compulsion. We didn't do it by law or saying you have to get a vaccination. We, as a country, they did it. we did it by encouraging people, by science, the good, healthy, robust debate in a, a democracy. So, he, so certainly the government is not going to be saying to companies that you have to force your workers to be vaccinated. But it looks like 
individual companies are making uh, decisions. Will you have a case, West Cork listener? I don't know, but it certainly will be an interesting chat with your solicitor and only time will tell what is going to happen with Irish companies when people start heading back into the office. And it is looking like, um, because... This, the, the Delta wave, thankfully, looks like it is uh, plateauing and it is looking like September now is going to be the start of people going back into the offices, people who've been working at home, many of them working at home since the start of the pandemic. And I know Eamon Ryan signalled the likely return to offices for workers from uh, September. And actually, Michael Martin yesterday was saying they will assess in about another six weeks what other restrictions can be eased. He's saying there's still many uncertainties out there in unknowns so they're going away so it's got another six weeks so we'll be into September I suppose before there will be any more lifting of restrictions and the obvious one there will be people returning to the uh, office but HSC's Paul Reid was saying when he was talking about the Delta wave looking like it is plateauing and that means that we're on the pathway back to normality he says that the vaccine rollout is on the final furlong and he then went on to praise the remarkable national uptake of jabs for slow down the current uh, wave. Uh, so, and of course, we have the walk in vaccination clinics opened across this weekend for anybody aged over 16 who hasn't received a vaccine yet. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. ISIC Ireland, they've got a vacancy for a regional development manager. That's for Cork and Western region. Carpenters and general operatives, they're required for mid and west Cork areas. While school bus drivers are wanted to work in Skibbereen, Roscarbury, Baltimore, Ballydehop and Skull. And the Clonakilty Park Hotel, they've got vacancies for housekeeping assistants and they're also looking for a kitchen porter. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie Follow C103 on Facebook. Join us today. Search C103. Seeing as we've been talking about GAA-related topics this morning, just on a breaking news story from the GAA, Davy Fitzgerald has stepped down as the Wexford Hurling Manager after a five-year spell with the team, which of course saw them win their first Leinster Hurling title for 15 years. Davy's agreement with Wexford was at an end and they decided to part company. I could it have anything to do with defeats in Leinster to Kilkenny and of course after extra time and then Clare in the uh, qualifiers. And if he doesn't take up another role next year, 2022, it'll mean uh, he'll be an unbroken involvement in inter-county hurling stretching back to 1987 will mean it will come to uh, an end. But the, the, it's just been announced that David Fitzgerald stepping down as the Wexford hurling manager. 1850 Our John Paul taking your calls. Now, people living in West Cork may have spotted posters and leaflets asking participants to take part in an anonymous survey for adults who have ever experienced sexual violence at any time in their lives or have supported uh, somebody else. To discuss the survey, I'm joined by Dr Caroline Crowley, who is carrying out the uh, research. Good morning to you, Caroline. Good morning, Patricia. Well, and you're very welcome uh, to, to the programme. Firstly, how common do you believe sexual assault or sexual violence is in this country? Well, 
the best information that we have on that, Patricia, dates all the way back to 2002. Um, it was the savvy research was done nationally, and that's the sexual abuse and violence in Ireland research. Um, so we took the, the national rates from that research and we applied them to the population of West Cork just to see what, what does it mean bringing it back to our region. And when we used the population data for the West Cork Municipal District back in 2016 from the census and we applied the national rates, we came up with an, an astonishing figure, Patricia. The result was nearly 12,000 people. <sighs> It's one in five of our population. So we literally took the rates, the national rates that were um, uncovered from people talking about um, their experiences as as children and their experiences as adults. And um, we literally just applied it to what our population of children and adults were. So it is only an estimate, Patricia. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Two decades old. But there's nothing to say that West Cork would be any different from any other part of the country. There isn't. And we've already done some work. This survey we're doing right now, and it's been commissioned by the West Cork Women Against Violence Project in Bantry, the Domestic Violence Service. And they're collaborating with Kerry Rape and Sexual Abuse Centre in Tralee. And they've been collaborating before. So earlier research that we did, we went out and we interviewed almost 50 professionals across West Cork, as well as those working in specialist services further afield. And we literally heard from GPs, guards, social workers, mental health workers, people working in domestic violence services. And we we asked them, are people in West Cork turning to you for for help uh, around this issue? And the answer was, absolutely, they are. Um, but what they also, the, the professionals told us, they, they do their absolute best. They have their procedures that they have to go through officially in terms of reporting to guards or reporting to social workers. And, you know, they they, they, they do everything that they can locally. But the, the thing is, we don't have specialist supports here. And we, we don't have people who are specifically trained in this area necessarily, even though they're very professional. So, and that obviously is what you're hoping to achieve by this body of work, by this study. Yes, yes. Um, so we've we've heard from the professionals what they think would be important and how they're already delivering, you know, very confidential and sensitive um, services across West Cork. So we've gotten great information from our professionals. And we also heard from a small number of survivors and their supporters in the earlier work. And what we realised was it's one thing to hear from professionals, but once we started hearing from the survivors and their loved ones, we, we understood that there's a whole other aspect to designing a service and designing supports that will work as, as well as they can for us here in West Cork, a very rural region with a very dispersed population across you know, several thousand square kilometres. Mm-hmm. And, you know. and is, it, is it very possible, Caroline, that there are many victims who have never reported it or perhaps never even spoken to anybody else about what happened to them? Yes. Yeah. And we, and we know that from... We know that from the stories that we hear nationally. We, we've heard from, say, um, a GP would say... You know, a patient has been coming to me for decades and they've only recently disclosed um, 
what happened to them way in the past. So even your most trusted uh, professional, like a GP, it may take a long time before people can open up to them. And that's here locally in West Cork. And when we try to understand why that is, Patricia, there's really good reasons for that. And that's why... That's why we're taking a community-wide approach to this, because we heard from people, professionals and, and the survivors themselves, that sometimes when they do turn to somebody for um, for help and when they share their story, they don't get the yeah. response they need, they don't get the help they need. So having this conversation, starting to um, talk about sexual violence in West Cork and asking people to take part in the survey so we can really learn what is it like when people do look for help from West Cork? Do they get it? And um, what kind of help do we need to bring closer to home in West Cork? Yeah, and I think for for the people who have been the victims, Caroline, for them to know that, you know, if they step forward for this, they'll be listened to and they'll be believed. Absolutely. That they'll be heard without judgment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it must eat away at somebody to carry something like that with you all your life and never get the the help, the the counselling, the healing that you need to get over something as traumatic as that. Absolutely, Patricia. And and we know that this this has impacts on people's lives um, for a long, long time. It, it's something that people carry with them throughout their lives. So you can imagine for children, for teenagers, for adults, this is going to impact on their education. It's going to impact on their mental and physical health, on their relationships, on their future parenting, on their livelihoods. It can impact every aspect of people's lives. And so that, that's why there's a, there's a whole justice issue here, Patricia. It is about giving people the access to the supports and services they need as close to home as possible. Because we also heard from people about the fact that you have to take time off school to go to Cork City if you, if you want to go to the rape crisis there or to the sexual assault treatment unit for a forensic examination. You're taking time off work. Parents have to pay for childcare, find childminders. The, the list of barriers there are to getting the support that you need when it's so far away. It's overwhelming. And then when you add into that the fact that community-wide, because this is about community, and this is what West Cork is so good at, community-wide, if you had a support system all around you, so you were very confident that when you disclose to somebody, even if they're not a professional, they will know what to do next. They will know who to turn to, who to help you get support from. And right now, we don't necessarily have that in West Cork, but we're very, very confident that we that you can achieve it. it. Can it be harder sometimes for men to come forward, um, Caroline, to say that they've been victims of sexual abuse? Again, it's down to what people see around them in terms of support services. So um, we're really fortunate in West Cork to have West Cork Women Against Violence Project. They're based out of Bantry, but they do outreach across West Cork. And that's a very visible uh, non-profit organisation that is wonderful, wonderful organisation for yeah. women and for their children that are impacted in, specifically around domestic violence. But of course, 
they do support um, women around sexual violence within domestic relationships as well. Increasingly, they're supporting them beyond uh, domestic violence because the guards see them as such a beacon for providing these kind of supports. But yes, you're right. Um, for, for men and for boys especially, who do they turn to? Um, all of the messages they're getting from us in society, from us as a community, as well as the fact that there isn't any specific service for them, um, obvious for them to turn to. We're, we're not sending any messages or signals to them that they can actually open up about this and, and turn to someone. So that's why, again, taking that community approach, because community understands that this sexual abuse or sexual violence doesn't happen to discrete groups of people. It can happen to anybody at any time of any age or identity. And that community-based approach could be so powerful. And we think West Cork could be a pioneer for um, responding to sexual violence at, in, a, in a way that's appropriate for a rural community and its people. Well done, well done. And, and I mentioned in the introduction, you're also looking for people who may have supported somebody following a, a sexual assault or sexual abuse. Talk absolutely. to me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So as well as the, the survivors themselves who are 18 years and older, we're looking for anybody that has supported a survivor. So, for example, we want to hear from parents uh, or grandparents or any guardians. We want to hear from friends, relatives, neighbours, even volunteers in the community, because these are all people that we did hear a little bit from in our earlier research. And so we know that there's an awful lot of people out there that are also trying to support survivors. Um, so it'll just give us more information if, if survivors, for many good reasons, um, aren't uh, you know, able to come forward. Maybe they're under 18 years of age um, and maybe for other reasons they can't take part in the survey, but their, their support network could. And again, it's all about us learning and gathering evidence from West Cork people about what happened when they looked for help, what happened when they told somebody else, did they get the help they need? And if they didn't, you know, these are the experts, Patricia. So we want to understand what would, what did you need immediately after an assault or what did you need in the in the months, years or decades that followed. And, and, when, and, when, and when you say supported someone, can supported somebody be as simple, if uh, that might be the wrong word, as listening to somebody, somebody who shared with you about an experience? It certainly is. Uh, it's the first step of supporting someone for the purpose of this survey, because we're going to use the data, and this is going to be all anonymized so that no no one or no place can be identified from it, but we're going to use this information, Patricia, to build an evidence base to advocate for resources for services in West Cork. So, in other words, we'll be looking for um, information from people specifically about what happened next? Trying to go, uh, yeah, when they went when they went to get the help. Okay, yeah. and it is it is completely anonymous, and that's so important uh, to end to emphasise again. How can people contact you to share their experiences, Caroline? So people can contact me in two ways. 
The first way is by email, and the email address of the project is westcorkresearch at gmail.com. And if people send me an email, I'm the only person that um, looks at that email account, I will send them their own private link to the survey. And only they can use that link to go in and fill in the survey. And we've set it up that they can go back to their own survey form over time if they want to take a little time to answer questions or if they want to go back and add anything in. And the other thing people can do is they can text me or phone me on 087-348-2474. Okay. Listen, we wish you luck uh, with the survey, uh, Caroline, and you might come back and let us know when your survey is done as to as to what's what's come out from it. I'd be really interested in the in the results and the findings of it. Uh, but in the meantime, we wish you well with it. We'd love to talk to you again, Patricia. And the, the last thing I'll say is the survey is running until the end of August. Okay, because I, I know some of the posters say the end of July, but it's actually the end of uh, August. Best of luck with the Caroline. Thank you so and much. And thank you for joining us. Good morning. That is Dr. Caroline Crowley, who's conducting that uh, piece of research in West Cork. West Cork Research at Gmail. Dot com if you have an experience that you would like to share. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This year's Bernardo's Back to School survey paints a picture of parents relieved at the prospect of their children moving on in school, but still dealing with the fallout of the past year. Susan Connolly is CEO of Bernardo's and uh, she joins me. Good morning to you, Suzanne. Good morning. And you are, are welcome. What, what, by the way, did you hear from parents with regard to homeschooling during the lockdowns? Did parents find that tough? Well, 33% of parents told us they did find it very tough and they didn't think they really were able to help their child in the way they would have liked to which I suppose means that, you know, the 67% felt they did okay, but with a big ask of parents. And I think what's, what's very strongly coming out from the survey is, is how much parents are looking forward to their children going back to school. And in fact, the vast majority of children are also looking forward to, to going back to school. Now, parents, parents do have worries. I mean, 63% are worried about, about their children's educational development, and they really feel they need to catch up. And 63% of parents are also worried about their children's emotional development. And 50%, and I, yeah, sorry, yeah, worried about social development, yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming while parents are very much, you know, relieved at the prospect of their children going back and there's good, you know, good soundings coming from the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, the schools will reopen. The big dread would be that they would not open or reopen and, and close again. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I, I, I think we all really want schools to... To, uh, up to open. It's really important for children's um, overall development and obviously it's really important for parents as well and I think I'm feeling very heartened by what Norma Foley has said. I mean, the, in, in terms of investing in things like ventilation, she's, she's committed to doing that and she also emphasises, which is, is the medical view as well, about schools being a contro- controlled environment. And what we're asking for in Bernardo's as well and what parents are telling us that they need for their children is a part of the plan that the minister is doing also includes consideration of how children's social and emotional development can be supported and indeed for children who are going to struggle going back because 
you know, to re you know, to get into routine again, that they're also given support. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's nice to see as well when you mentioned that children themselves are really looking forward to go to going back. Is that across primary and secondary? Yes, yeah. Now it is. However, there's there's um, there is twenty three percent of of children who in primary school who, who did less than a, than an hour a day during lockdown. This is what parents are telling us, and nine percent of children. In secondary school, so so I think some children will will have to be given support to, to, to catch up, and there there are some some children some children are a bit worried. So about fourteen percent of the children who who completed our survey said they were worried, and eight percent said they were you know a bit sad about going back, but fifty eight percent said they were either happy or excited, which is great. And then twenty percent said they they don't care, which is often a child's response. They don't, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, yeah, I exactly. don't care. I don't mind. I don't mind. But <laughs> exactly. it's it's the it's the little ones who uh, and some of the big ones who have fallen back educationally, trying to make up for the lost time. Because as you say, homeschooling didn't work for everyone. I mean, there was. I mean, certainly we had problems uh, here in Cork with people living in rural areas where they don't have any broadband. You know, you've got broadband black spots, mm. and so so when you know when it went on. Online and when there were Zoom classes, some of our children just couldn't get even near a computer to do Zoom classes, and there was other families who couldn't afford to have enough laptops and computers uh, on the go. So it has to be recognised, doesn't it, that educationally some children have fallen behind. Absolutely, and it's really important that schools are given the resources to support their cohort of children to catch up, because teachers will know they'll know the children and they'll know the support that that'll work for them. And one of the things that we we do in in Bernardo's in some communities is we're able to run breakfast clubs and after school clubs, and that's a real support to the teachers in the school as well, because for children who come from more vulnerable backgrounds, sometimes there might be a bit of chaos at home. So having their breakfast, a guaranteed breakfast and support, is really important. And then also in the in the app, in after school, they get support to do their homework. But overall, obviously, the teachers will know how best to ensure that the children get back on that educational trajectory so they can do the best they can in school. Did you look at family life and was family life affected by the school closures and, and the various pandemic restrictions? Yes, we did. And and what parents were telling us was that, that you know 52% of them did experience some mental health difficulties and 50% say to us that there was increased tension in the home and 59% said they felt quite isolated. So, so yeah, it's been tough. And I, I think we all know that, that there's yeah. been tough on and it's good people can say it's been tough. Yeah, and and, re- yeah, and, uh, yeah, and recognise it. And, and it's, exactly. okay, it's okay to be, not be okay and it's okay to say this has been a tough time uh, for everyone. Now, I think every year when, when I speak uh, with Bernardo's and, and yourself, Suzanne, about the back to school, it's it's interesting that well it's not interesting it's because of the pandemic what we're focusing on uh, this year. Yeah. But you always look at the back to school uh, costs. What are you hearing from parents this year? Yeah, so what parents are telling us is that 51% are concerned about cost and 17% have had to take out loans to meet the cost of financing their children going back to school. And 72% have been asked for a voluntary contribution and they're worried about increasing costs in uniform and books. So we're really calling calling on the government to do something about this. I mean, we are a relatively wealthy country. Now, I know there's a lot of draws on the exchequer, but there's nothing more important than supporting children's education and supporting families in that context. So we're saying as well, the government, to to equalise the threshold for back-to-school allowance for, for one-parent and two-parent families. Because at the moment, it's quite unfair that, that 
one-parent families get less. And we're also asking the government to give more money to schools so they don't have to ask for voluntary contributions. The capitation grant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because a few weeks ago I spoke with the Irish League of Credit Unions and they had their cost of going back to school and it's backing up everything that you're you're saying. Quite shocking to think that we've got families borrowing money Mm -hmm. to get their children back to school. And there will be families this year Caroline, because of the pandemic, or Suzanne, sorry, because of the pandemic, who've never had to borrow to send their children back to school, but suddenly are finding themselves in financial difficulty. Exactly. And it's tough enough at the moment. You, you know, people have enough to worry about that, that have to worry about what really is, is a basic right, we would say in Bernard, is to free education. At the moment, it isn't free. And we, we can't afford it. So we're really urging the government to... For example, they could. All, there's loads of things they could do that would make a difference. So at a primary school level, they could actually make school books free. We continuously encourage them to reduce and encourage schools as well to reduce any uniform costs. But ultimately, I think that that not having voluntary contributions would would make a massive difference to some to some families. I mean, one of the things one parent said to us is now she's she's worried about she's so worried about school it's more than her worried about Christmas. Uh, but that's tough, isn't it? Yeah, and I know on the vol—I mean, even when we say the word voluntary contribution, yeah. the last time we discussed it here on the program, you know, listeners say anything but uh, voluntary. And you know, someone had said, "Oh, we'll go to the school and explain the financial difficulty you're in." But like a number of parents were saying, "Why should we have to do that? Why should we have to go to a school and say we're struggling financially?" That's a tough thing to ask a parent to do. I agree completely. I absolutely agree. I think, I mean, I even know, you know, my, ch- my childhood is not today or yesterday and I remember finding it excruciating as a child, you know, when my family couldn't afford it. So yeah, yeah. I, I think it's really, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, an, it's a misnomer. It yeah. really is a misnomer and it's tough. It's, you know, it's tough on families. But asking a family to go into debt for a voluntary contribution just is galling. It's absolutely galling. And one of the recommendations to come out, uh, Suzanne, from your report is increased mental health supports. This is something yes. that we really need to look at. Children, some children are really struggling and have struggled for the last 18 months. I agree. And actually, something you said earlier, I think is really important, is that just just like the we, we normalise the fact that families are feeling ups and downs, anxious, sad, happy, a variety of emotions, that's the same for children. So one of the things we'd be saying to, for schools is, first of all, to normalise the range of emotions. You know, it's, it's OK, it's normal to feel anxious at times. It's OK to feel worried. Of course, we feel sad when things when sad things happen. Some of us are more introverted than others. Some of us are more extroverted. We're all different. We're all unique and have our own temperament. So I'd normalise it at a classroom level and have conversations about that. And then there may be some specific children who do need more specialised help, and they should have that help available to them. But also, what we do sometimes in Bernardas is we run friendship groups. So in so in, in those friendship groups, enable children to talk about their feelings to recognise the difference between them in terms of how they manage those feelings and then to think of it and to just, just to make children feel listened to and heard. And that makes a massive difference. Because mental health is about being able to, to accept all of who you are and not bottle things up and to be able to, to, to receive support and be able to ask for help. And that applies to children and to obviously to their parents. Okay, Deirdre says, looking for advice, please. My child is in third class, going into fourth class. Definitely academically, she's fallen behind. She didn't do well on homeschooling. I've contacted the school to see if she could repeat third class and they're refusing. Could your uh, expert give us uh, some advice on what we should do? That's a tough one, isn't it? If you know your child has fallen back academically. Um, well, I, yes, absolutely. And I I mean, I'm not an expert in terms of, of 
the school's authority in terms of being able to refuse the child repeating um, repeating third class. But I would, but what I would say is, if, is, is that the, the parents are absolutely entitled to an explanation as to why they won't let the child do that. Um, and you, you, and also, you need to shout, you need to advocate yeah, on behalf of your child. Yeah. You know, completely shout and advocate on behalf of your child. And the other thing to say is the ombudsman is always available if if a, a process, you know, if, if a parent has made a complaint and they're not happy with the outcome, they can always go to the ombudsman, whose, whose aim is always to be supportive of, of children and, and and parents' rights in relation to this. Because parents do know their, do know their children really, really Best, well. Better than anyone. Better exactly. than anyway. Exactly. Okay. All right. Listen, uh, Suzanne, thank you for that. Enjoyed our chat and thanks for joining us. Continue good luck with the great work at Bernardo's and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Suzanne bye. Connolly. Uh, bye bye, who is CEO of Bernardo's, 1850 And just when we were talking about the digital COVID certificates and the fact that the government has come out and said you don't have to have a digital COVID certificate to go in for indoor dining or for pubs and that your vaccine your HSE vaccine card will do instead. John Paul says he's had a number of calls in today from people to say they've tried to go into a restaurant, they've tried to go into a bar and because they didn't have their digital COVID certificate plus photo ID, they were refused. So you need to check in with any venue that you hope to attend, you hope to go into. You need to check in advance because you may not be allowed in if you don't have your digital COVID certificate and photographic ID. When we were talking about the Cork Dublin game and how if you don't have Sky you won't be able to see it at the weekend just to let you know that we have live commentary here at C103 at the weekend the Cork Offaly under 20 football is on at 5.15 and that will be followed by the Cork v Dublin at 7 o'clock so if you don't have Sky and you want to hear what's going on at the match our guys who do the commentary it's like theatre for the mind you are almost there so stay tuned to C103 for that uh, match at the weekend. Okay, we need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. We are giving away a smart speaker in the next hour. We also have our Cork versus COVID, which is all to do with uh, staycationing. And talking of staycationing, we're going to look at some of our beaches, the latest eyeball litter league survey for the beaches and coasts are out. A mixed bag of results. We'll find out that and more in the next hour. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The very latest coming from the Tokyo Olympics. Phil Healy, Sophie Becker, Killian Green and Christopher O'Donnell running in the 4 by 400 metre relay heats. They are into the final. They actually finished in fourth place and we were waiting to see if they would qualify or not because they've set a new national record, 3 minutes, 12 seconds and 3 3.12.88, that's a new national record. But they finished fourth, but they've now been bumped up to third because the US were disqualified. So that means Ireland is in the final of the mixed four by 400 metre relay heat. Congratulations to Phil and the rest of the uh, team. 1850-333-103. Okay, I want to bring you... Trusted car dealerships. That's what I want to do. I want to open up the text and the WhatsApp now, please, if you would like to enter on the final day today 
for the one of the C103 smart speakers for the next 10 minutes you can enter 0862 103 103 one lucky listener will get a call back the call back will come from an 022 number that's for people who are afraid of answering call numbers that they don't know and you'll need to come on air and repeat the winning phrase which is play C103 so do you want to win a smart speaker my final one to give away today get texting or whatsapping 0862-103-103 that's the C103 smart speaker giveaway with done deal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships and while we are awaiting our qualifier for t- or a winner for today it's not a qualifier let me take a look at some of your thoughts coming into the programme on the GAA that we mentioned earlier and Sky Dennis messaging us from Oxford in England says Patricia I put this down to greed and being disrespectful to the Irish people depriving them of viewing their national game Plain and simple, not everyone can afford a Sky subscription. People have paid for the privilege of viewing their national game by paying RTE, their TV licence, every year. Players should stand together and refuse to play until all of these matches are televised free to air. The players should realise that they're not going to make any financial gain from the GAA, says Dennis, listening to us in Oxford. Hope you are keeping well, uh, Dennis. And somebody else uh, says that this uh, country, nothing is free in this country anymore. The sooner we wake up to that, the uh, better. On the digital COVID certificate, Pat in Milford says, Patricia, my digital COVID certificate, I have it on my phone. But my COVID cert has my first name just down as Pat, whereas on my passport, my second name is also on it like Pat Martin. If travelling overseas in the future, do I need to change my COVID digital certificate to match the same as the passport? Passport. Ah, yeah, we've had a lot of people who are in a much worse dilemma than that, Pat. We've got a number of people. The one that keeps jumping to mind is the person who's known by his doctor as Ted. So he went down on his digital COVID certificate as Ted, but the name on his passport is uh, Timothy. We are being told that the, it must match. And the only thing I would say to you is, is check in with your airline to make sure that they will accept if the name doesn't match. But we're hearing from others saying don't even attempt to travel. Travel agents who've been speaking to us are all saying make sure that your digital COVID certificate matches the name that's on your passport. We know from the digital COVID certificate helpline that they're getting a lot of calls in from people who are travelling and only contact them if you're travelling within the next 10 days and one of the things they are doing is adjusting the name on the digital COVID certificate and if you are lucky enough to get through to the helpline they're able to do it there and then. They're able to put what is the correct name exactly as is on your passport and then you just get issued with a new digital COVID certificate either by email or in the post. So personally, would I risk travelling with the name not exactly as it is on the passport? No, I, I wouldn't because we've heard from too many people who've come a cropper either getting on the plane or getting off the plane to discover that the country they go to are not accepting it. So it's, and, and, and it is different for absolutely every single country. They all have different rules and regulations. So you do need to check that out. And just staying on travel. This came in late yesterday, so I said I'd hold on to it until today from one of our listeners. Can anybody offer advice to one of our listeners here, please, to say query? And I'm looking for advice. My husband wants us to go to Lanzarote in October for a holiday. Now, we're both fully vaccinated and we're in our 50s. 
I'm just not sure if I want to go. I still feel anxious about the whole COVID situation and especially now with this new Delta variant. Uh, we would have to obviously go from Dublin or Shannon because Cork Airport is closing in September so our own airport won't be available to us. I'd be happy to go on a holiday somewhere here in Ireland. Just a bit nervous about going overseas. I just don't know. And by the way, we haven't had a break since the summer of 2019 and a lot of people will, will be with you on that saying it's two years since they have been out of the uh, country. And it's it really is a tough situation to be in. If you've got, you know, husband and a wife, one wants to go away and one doesn't uh, want to. So I'm wondering how others are feeling about travelling abroad. I personally, for my own, we always travel overseas. I mean, there hasn't been a year, I'd say, certainly since Marcia was adopted, have we not taken her out of the country and tried to give her as many experiences of this beautiful world in which we live and we look forward to our holidays. And uh, bless her little heart, she's one of the signs she's clearly able to make is the sign for an aeroplane. She loves to go on aeroplanes and she's been constantly signing. Why are we not going on an aeroplane? Doing my best to explain coronavirus to a deafblind child with limited sign is difficult. Anyway, so we haven't been away and we made the decision earlier on this year when we started talking about holidays and when the vaccine started to roll out and when we said, OK, if we're all three of us are vaccinated, would we get in a plane and would we go uh, somewhere? And we so searched about it because we love our holidays and we love to go abroad. And we made the decision, but we made it collectively as a couple that no, we'll pass on it this year and please God next year we'll start to look at broadening our horizons and going overseas. So we're OK because we're both happy with that decision. I'd, I don't know if I'd like to be in the situation where one wants to go overseas and one doesn't. It really is a hard one and I can understand your, nerv- your, your nervousness and people are nervous because we know we've been vaccinated but we know that there's no such thing as a vaccination that's 100% safe that doesn't stop you getting uh, COVID and uh, so therefore I can understand your nervousness. And another, I think, for me, I, I don't know if I would be that nervous about picking up COVID because, you know, I kind of look at it, OK, we're all fully vaccinated and, you know, we'd, we'd be mindful of being careful if we, wherever we go, it'll be the same on staycation. And please God, we won't pick up uh, COVID. But my big fear, I think, and one of the reasons that I came to the conclusion we wouldn't be travelling overseas this year, was what if you went somewhere and suddenly when you arrived in the country or while you were in the country, something went wrong with restrictions in that country and suddenly they had a massive outbreak of COVID and suddenly trying to get back to Ireland was going to be difficult because they were telling people to get out and if you didn't get out in time, you were going to have to face quarantine. And for that was one of the main reasons that I decided, no, I wasn't going to travel. But we are all getting to a stage where we're going. this country is going to start reopening more and more. We're, we're already seeing it. Uh, and then you pick where you decide to go. And some countries are going to have less of COVID-19. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Lanzarote because a lot of people are going to Lanzarote. And the last time I checked, I think the numbers for the Canary Islands were very low. But then they were very low in the, um, the Balearics, in the Ibiza, Menorca, Mallorca. They were doing fantastic. And Ibiza is, is an island I know really well. And I would have friends who live over there. And they had little or no COVID. They were really happy with themselves. Then they opened up and obviously tourism is so important to those countries. And unfortunately, COVID came in on those planes of people coming in and suddenly Ibiza, 
Mallorca and Menorca suddenly now are hot spots and other countries are telling their people not to go there so you just don't know it's a real real dilemma I, my heart really does go out to you but I just keep talking to your husband and explain your fears uh, to him but anyway I, and as I say I don't think you're on your own I, I, I probably think there are others as well in the very same uh, situation as you so if anybody can offer words of advice to our listeners to how she gets around that how does she get around uh, her husband and particularly that he really wants to go and with all of a holiday in the sun and to get away for winter sunshine there is nothing more magical uh, but but what do you do? 1850 if you want to offer advice there please Helen has been on to say Patricia will you give one last mention please to the drive-in bingo which is going ahead in the community field in Doris and it's on this evening at 7 o'clock thanking you very much and that is from Helen who is the PRO of the Community Council in Doris. Good luck to everybody taking part in the bingo there. And actually somebody else was on asking me to give a shout out to a bingo, a drive-in bingo that's happening in Canturk Mart next Sunday half past two in the afternoon this is from John Fuller of the Cantor Community Council who says they're looking forward to meeting all of the bingo players and a big shout out and a thank you to Peter and the Cantor Mart Committee for making this possible so Cantor Mart Grounds Sunday afternoon if you're in if you fancy a little bit of drive-in bingo and that is at half past uh, two. 1850 I think I just got one final text that I want to get to. Where is it? It is from a Fomoy listener to say Hi Patricia, please call this out and warn your listeners. I've received three calls so far this morning. I don't answer numbers that I don't know. Uh, so I said if they need me they'll leave a message. They did leave a message. The message is as follows attention. This call is from the Department of Social Protection and I'd love to it's probably done in a computer generated voice because that's the way they normally are. We are calling to inform you that we have received an order to suspend your social protection services number on an immediate basis because we have detected criminal activity using your social services uh, card. We don't have social services cards in this country. That, that straight away is the, the alarm bell should ring. For more information please press one before it's too late. I know this is a scam but others may fall for it. Please warn your listeners. So the Department of Social Protection scam is out and about this morning and uh, you'd want the patience of Job, wouldn't you, to, to have three of them. And we've got to the stage where we literally don't answer our phones anymore, which is which is absolutely shocking. 1850-333-103. John Paul, text your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative. The perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. Shine a Light Suicide and Mental Health Awareness. They're presenting Make Some Noise Cork. It's uh, tonight, streamed live from the Firkin Crane from 7pm to 8.15pm. It's by Unity Media. Links are available on the Shine a Light Facebook page. Kildarri have a drive-in bingo going ahead tonight. That's at 8 o'clock in the Creamery Yard. And Mallow Farmers Market is asking customers to take part in a survey to help them deliver customer satisfaction. Participants are entitled to, uh, to enter into a raffle for 10 euro vouchers. Raffle will take place on the 20th of August and you can see the Mallow Farmers Market Facebook page for more details. And Ballonhasic Community Development Association are holding a clothing collection in the Marion Hall. Now it's Mondays and Thursday evenings from 7pm to 8.30 
8.30pm and from Monday next the 2nd runs from Monday next to the 2nd of August finishing up on Thursday the 19th item of used clothes paired shoes bags, towels, sheets, curtains, duvet covers all welcome and the collection is to raise funds for the refurbishment of the Marion Hall car park in Ballinasic. Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Nationwide survey of 32 beaches commissioned by the Irish Business Against Litter Group found that 40% of the beaches and harbours surveyed are deemed to be clean to European standards, but one in three were found to be littered. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW are heavily littered. Joining me from Eyeball, uh, Connor Horgan. Good, good afternoon to you, Connor. Hello, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Is this an improvement or a disimprovement on last year, firstly? It is an improvement. Uh, this is the third time we've conducted a coastal survey, as we call it, and um, the last time being two years ago. And each time we've seen an improvement. Um, 40% of, town, of, of of areas, as you mentioned, were clean. That was less than 20% two years ago. So there's definitely progress. Um, and you see very iconic beaches like Tremor, like La Hinch, British Bay, Port Marnock, Strand Hill. They've all upped their game and they're now deemed clean to European norms. So uh, there's lots of positives. Um, Break it the, to us, though. How did we do here in Cork? Well, not so good. Unfortunately, 
none of the Cork areas was among those which had improved to clean to European norms. And unfortunately, if I look at the bottom of our table, I see two heavily littered areas, White Bay Beach in Cork and Cork Harbour at Blackrock Castle, which was previously also the litter site. So it's there's a, there's a long-term litter problem there that needs uh, to be and, and, you know, it breaks my heart to see the White Bay uh, one because the the Clean Coasts, the Ballinamona group who are just doing the most mm, amazing yeah. work and I only had Prunchius Otuma on the programme uh, this week. They have done so much work in uh, White Bay. I think they've over... 70 odd hours that they have put in and the amount that they've picked up and then they go back again and discover that it's all back there again. Yes, it's I believe this this week just again they they uh, filled X many bags with, with uh, fresh litter. So that's an ongoing problem. Um, some of the other areas which have Bantry, uh, that deteriorated to litter littered as well and Castletown Bear was also littered. Best of the pile was Kinsale Harbour. It was moderately littered but disappointing for Kinsale being a tourist spot. Yeah. I'm sure they'd be very keen to be, to be deemed clean. Okay, talk me through what you found. What's the most commonly discarded items? Um, well, the old cigarette butts which we've spoken about before, um, they're, they're, you know, unsurprisingly, I suppose, the most common form of litter. Uh, not to be considered harmless, especially in a marine context. They are single-use plastic. And as we said before, Patricia, the reason we're doing this isn't just to have a clean environment for visitors and for tourists. Um, you know, litter entering our seas has serious environmental um, implications for our sea life and for our planet and cigarette butts are part of that because they are plastic. Uh, other examples were like plastic bottles. Um, we had disposable masks, evidence of, of COVID there. Um, and and I mean, the majority of litter found was plastic. Um, there was also alcohol, alcohol cans were found. More outdoor drinking is still taking place than previously and that was noticeable at many sites. Unusual items? Uh, you know, we always find the odd scooter or shopping trolley, or uh, um, which we found in Dublin, and I think in Cork Harbour there was um, uh, there was a uh, oh there was a wheelbarrow discarded. So you know that's evidence of real neglect. That's yeah. only dumping. It's not really litter, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's just hard to appreciate how the council could allow that lie there for a long period of time because it's it's more than unsightly. Um, and we also saw coffee cups featuring more strongly, Patricia, um, as we did in our town survey as well. That uh, I, well, and I think that's increased because of the pandemic. It is, of course, yeah. that's COVID, and um, now as you know, as the lockdown eases, we may see less of that. But um, you know, there's a mix here of as ever what the council needs to do and what people need to do. Our message certainly is when people are taking that family trip to the beach, they need to be prepared to take their waste home with them. Leave um, leave no trace. Leave no trace. And that message, however good the systems that are put in place by the local authorities, when you have thousands of people um, uh, coming onto a beach in good weather, there'll never be enough receptacles to cover your litter. And that's quite obvious. So people need to change their behaviour as well. At the same time, local authorities, they seem to be investing more in bins and in better bins and in supplementary bins for the good weather. There's more signage out there alerting people to what they should do. And I think in general, the infrastructure at our beaches is improving, um, which is important because the staycationing we're seeing at the moment you know, may not be a temporary thing. 
Yeah, and like when I mentioned Pontius Othuma and his Clean Coasts group that are out every single weekend, the volunteers going out picking up the rubbish. When you think, Connor, if we didn't have groups like that going out doing the litter picking on the beach, how much worse would our beaches yes, be? Yes, I mean, and I hear this week, uh, Patricia, that there's over 1,500 of those groups now. Yeah. And that's a group for, I think, every couple of kilometres of coast. And, like, if they're patrolling that area on a regular basis, you know, the, the amount of work they're doing, we see the sort of bags that they're collecting. Um, as you say, I mean, we'd be in a totally different state if it wasn't for them. So, you know, credit where credit is due. And um, I was glad to have the opportunity this week to um, to credit their work. Yeah, they are doing amazing. Amazing work. Okay, when is your next uh, next town survey in City yeah, The town survey is due to be out at the end of September, okay. and um, that was a disappointing result last time yeah, around. I remember. Recall. So yeah. let's see if um, if our behaviour has changed as COVID has uh, has eased. And you certainly can see evidence of the tidy towns groups are really back out. That's a good thing because obviously one of the reasons we were citing for the the deterioration in standards was the fact that we didn't have the volunteers on the beat like normal, nor did we have the local authorities on their beat as normal. So hopefully that has normalised. Okay. All right, listen, Conor, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Conor Horgan who joins us from the Irish Business Against uh, Litter. Uh, Now, I know the weather forecast that I mentioned at the top of the programme for the bank holiday weekend isn't what we typically would say is beach uh, weather but there is some bits of sunshine you may be heading to the beach uh, this weekend but it's just all of us it's individual responsibility all of us to leave no trace and actually when I was speaking to Punchius during the week and he was talking about the big beach cleanup that happens every year in September looking for people to sign up for that he also made the point that they, they're very much pushing that if you do go to the beach with your family if if when you're going for a little walk along the beach or whatever if you can just pick up three items of litter three pieces of plastic whatever it is and if we all do our own little bit it'll certainly help out with those volunteers who go down and do the big cleanups uh, themselves. 1850 and somebody says Trisha well done to the Irish getting into the relay final. Go Ireland! Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103 and a quick WhatsApp in from Mr. Simpson. Would you please say a big thank you to Tom Hartnett in Bantier Post Office. He is retiring tomorrow and he will be solely missed, says this listener. He has provided a wonderful service to the people of Bantier for many, many years. We wish him good health and a very happy retirement. And that comes in from one of his many, many loyal customers. So happy retirement to Tom Hartnett in Bantier. And when I mentioned scam calls and that listener saying doesn't accept calls from numbers that they don't know when they listen back to the message claiming to be from the Department of Social Protection. Uh, Nicola says Patricia they're pounding the lines over the last few days the scam callers. I blocked three numbers yesterday alone and two already this morning. I answered the phone to customers from my husband and it's starting to get ridiculous. I can't ignore unknown numbers because it's a business line. Unfortunately, unless they're obviously from a different country, I don't take those. They seem to be growing and evolving like COVID. Pity there's no vaccine for them, says Nicola. How right you are. But as soon if you do answer one of them, you just hang up uh, immediately. And uh, Margaret says, hi, I'm getting those calls every single day, deleting the number every time they ring, getting very, very annoying uh, indeed. 
103's Smart Speaker Giveaway with Dundeal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships. Okay, I've got to give away my final smart speaker. And who's the lucky listener? It is Jackie O'Connell in Boherbui. Good afternoon, Jackie. Evening, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Have you been trying for the last three weeks to win a smart yes. speaker? <laughs> I sure have. I'll just say, I, I, can I just say, because I have people begging me, saying, please pick me, please pick me. I'm throwing this right back to John Paul because he, he randomly selects uh, the winners and people saying they're in every single day uh, trying, to, trying to get through to win. Okay, what's the winning phrase, please? It is indeed. You've won yourself a smart speaker, Jackie. And that's what we'll be asking you to do. Say play C103 and every day your speaker will be logged on to C103. Okay, congratulations. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jackie O'Connell from Boherbui on the for my final smart speaker and uh, we've more of them to give away uh, this afternoon and our thanks to everybody at Dundee for all of Ireland's trusted car uh, dealerships and by the way because I can see texts coming in on this as well from people saying because this is our third week of doing it that they won a smart speaker in the first week haven't received it yet we're waiting until everybody has won the smart uh, speakers so it'll be from next week that the, you'll start to receive the smart speakers so it's not that we haven't we've got your address wrong or anything like that you'll have details of your smart speaker from next week and once again congratulations to everybody who's won these uh, speakers they are a great bit we've had great fun with this competition I have to say everybody's really enjoyed it okay some more smart speakers this afternoon with Nick and again with Martina okay and our Cork versus uh, Covid it's all about staycations this is what Mairead found out about staycations in Cork Hang on, I've gone all over the place here with technology. Let me just go back and see if I can sort this out. Um, I need to stop that and then just bear with me here. But technology, I'm never the best at it. Let's see if I can start again uh, with Mairead and her feature, Cork versus Covid on staycations. From the city jail. And then you go to the county, you have the Family Museum, you have the Michael Collins story, you have two distilleries, one been an internationally claimed one in Jemison. And then you go down as far as Tannikilty and you have the new family-owned distillery down there. You can go to any one of the seven islands off the coast of West Cork. You head down East Cork, out of the North Cork, you have places like Donrell House, Donrell Park, out as far as the, the caves in Mitchellstown. There you have abundance of stuff to do when you come to Cork. All of it is within an hour and a half drive of the city centre. Head of Visit Cork, Seamus Heaney there naming just a few of the wonderful attractions that Cork has to offer. Even though international travel is back on the table, many people have indulged in a staycation and Seamus says there's still plenty of time to enjoy a local getaway. I would love to encourage people to travel outside of these three months and if they could travel throughout the winter, stay locally, stay in Cork. It would be fantastic for our tourism industry. They've been totally and utterly decimated and now they're facing a new challenge which is the lack of staff because they've been closed for so long. There are many ways to get to your destination. Bus Aaron covers many of the tourist hotspots around the county. 
Fiona is Bussirin's sales and marketing manager of the South. We have a number of services going to West Cork, East Cork on our PSO services and then we have a number of expressway services as well which go Route 40 will go on to Yall, Dungarvan and Waterford and the other side Route 40 will go to Killarney and Tralee and then we have Route 51 going up to Limerick and Galway. They're very busy, we've noticed there's a lot more people travelling, it's great to see people back in and around the bus station and a bit of buzz but with masks on and everything so it is pretty safe to be around here as well. Frances is Bosserin's Assistant Services Manager in Cork and Tralee. She says that the increase in capacity on their services is welcome. We operated at 25% and 50% levels throughout COVID and we're very happy to see um, an increase to 75% which for our customers obviously there are more seats available but of course wearing a face masks that remains a requirement and it's always helpful when people comply with that and think of our staff and other passengers as well. Many Corkonians dip out on day trips Seamus says that we are spoiled for choice in the Rebel County. I think a lot of us have discovered places that we never knew existed since lockdown Cork is very very fortunate especially in the city that we can embrace the outdoors. We've led the way when it comes to outdoor dining, Cork City has we have some beautiful parks within the city walks um, and now the pedestrianisation of the city and all the new cycle lanes addition to it, I just think it's incredible. If you are planning to hop on the bus to go on your holiday, Fiona has this advice. We have a new booking system for our expressway services. If you go to expressway.ie, you can book online and we actually have a new website. So it's a lot easier and at least you're guaranteed your seat once you book your seat. Now you can turn up and if there's a space, you can go on the bus as well. But just, you know, to be sure to get your seat. And what we are noticing, a lot of people are travelling. So coming back, it's advisable to have your seat booked, really, just for your own sake, not to be left behind or stranded. Francis says there's plenty of room for all of your luggage. There's luggage compartments so there's plenty of room for anyone for their staycations to put their luggage into the bus and enjoy the nice comfortable atmosphere and enjoy the trip. So it's time to enjoy what Cork has to offer. We are blessed that we live in such a beautiful, large uh, county that we can actually have a staycation in our own county. There's not many other counties can say that they can do that. Thanks to Mairead there for her Cork versus Covid uh, feature today. Uh, Tim says this is on the scam calls. Tim says, I got four of those scam calls this morning. All allowed all of them to go to voicemail. I didn't pick up on any of them and then I blocked them. The strange thing is, though, says Tim, all of the numbers had the very same first six digits as my own number in 086199 and then the last four are different. I don't know if this is a new angle of theirs or not, says uh, Tim. Well, my phone number was used because they they take numbers letting on that it comes from that particular number. That probably 086199 and four other digits is somebody's genuine phone number, but the number isn't coming from that. They, it's called spoofing. It's called phone spoofing, where they take somebody else's number and put it up on the caller ID. And there was a woman from Dublin that I was speaking to a couple of weeks ago who got a call from what she thought was my number rang me back and I was waiting on a call from Dublin so I took it and uh, we had the conversation I said no it's, that's spoofing my number has been used and she said what was interesting was she had had six calls scam calls all different numbers but all of them had the very same first three digits as mine 087640 that's what my number starts with and she said all of the six calls started like that so remember that when they generate the numbers and when they pick numbers it's done through a computer 
is is how it's done and that's how they, they're generating the numbers. But it's when they use numbers that look like it's coming from an Irish number. I think that's what throws people off. And actually for some people then they actually answer it thinking that it is somebody who's trying to get through to them. So you need to be very careful. But as soon as you go on, if it is an automated message, which is what most of them are, you just hang up. It's, that's not going to cost you anything and that's, you know, you're not going to be scammed in any way. It's if you start doing what they ask you to do, like press one. And generally speaking, if you press one, you end up then going into a premium rate call which is going to end up costing you a fortune or worse if you get through to somebody and start giving them your details of your bank account that's when people are getting really really scammed so just be careful and there does seem to be a proliferation of them since the pandemic and I know I read a piece a number of weeks ago to say for whatever reason Ireland has been uh, targeted and they couldn't find any explanation as to why but for some reason we really have been a target I mean the only one thing is our the they could be targeting us because unfortunately the message isn't getting out to everyone and people are getting scammed and people are losing hard-earned uh, cash. So we all need to bring our A-game when we're answering our uh, phone. Uh, Tom says about people who are even contemplating going abroad on holidays. Tom says, what about people who simply can't afford uh, a holiday? And many haven't gone abroad since 2016. Be thankful that we're coming out of the other side of COVID rather than worrying about going abroad. And Tom, in for more wants to say well done to Dennis from Oxford who messaged the programme yesterday and who was who has spoken today my apologies giving out about the fact that people can't see the Cork matches unless they have a Sky subscription and Dennis in his message to us was making the point that we all pay a television licence to a national broadcaster therefore the national broadcaster should be allowing us to see the national games Tom says well done for that point from Dennis Tom says I do pay my TV licence and I'm also paying an additional subscription to Air which allows me to have access to other sports channels I don't have Sky and that means I can't see any of the Cork hurling matches and it's shocking to think that we haven't had a championship match free to Air since 2019 we've all of last year and it is looking so far like all of this year too which is upsetting to so many people particularly uh, people who have a great love and a great passion for Cork GAA. Tom McCarthy says Patricia would you give a quick shout out to the drive-in bingo in Araglan Community Field. It's next Sunday 3 o'clock in the afternoon and all are a welcome best of luck there. Okay that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing. Uh, Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and the show returns on Tuesday morning after the bank holiday at 10 until I'm Patricia Mester. Very good afternoon. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. 
Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.